Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> These guys are here to break it all down. This whining already this early in the morning for me is already getting me in a bad mood. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. The hometown team taking Mills Hoglander uh, had strong testing results at the draft combine, finished within the top 10 in seven, seven different categories. So, I love this guy. Hoglander. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. What is going on? Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Vancouver. No Seaball, no Perry Sikowski this week here on the starting lineup. They're taking a few more days. Well-deserved uh, rest and relaxation around the holidays. I am Jamie Dodd filling in the rest of the week for you here on the starting lineup on Sportsnet 650. And very pleased to be joined once again uh, by the great Katie Caldwell. Katie, how's it going? All right, we'll get Katie on the line here in just a second. Having some technical difficulties. Give us give us a break here. It is, you know, 6 a.m. We're, uh, we're just getting into the morning show groove. Uh, you know, I set, had to set the alarm at 4.40 in the morning this morning, which was a bit of a, a, bit of a rough wake-up call, I will admit it. Got into the studio about 5 o'clock, and by 5.15, I had already spilled coffee all down the front of my shirt. So that that's how my morning is going. I hope your morning uh, is going a lot better out there. Thanks so thanks for listening. Thanks for making us a part of your morning. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get in on the conversation. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on, on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Jamie Dodd here. Sportsnet 650, the starting lineup as we try to get Katie Caldwell on the uh, line here in just a second. Again, forgive us for the technical difficulties early in the morning. And uh, I hope everyone out there is having a better morning than we are, having a better morning than I'm sure Bill Belichick is after his Patriots got spanked, spanked in Buffalo in the Monday night game uh, yesterday, or by Buffalo, I should say. It was in Foxborough. Just an absolute annihilation uh, of a divisional rival by the Buffalo Bills as they continue to announce themselves as real Super Bowl contenders. Uh, and Josh Allen's development as a passer has been really unlike anything uh, I, I have seen in a long, long time in the NFL. We'll get into that throughout the course of the show, but of course the big talking point right now is that we are just five days away. Five days away all of a sudden. From the beginning of Canucks training camp. And, you know, I was uh, hosting Reach Deep last week. And the the big question on everyone's minds then was, okay, great. We have an NHL schedule. We have a start date. But where are the Canucks actually going to be playing their games? And over the last four or five days, over the, the Christmas break, so to speak, we've we've got the answer to that question. I think there are some still, still some uh, T's to be crossed and some I's to be dotted. But we now know that the Canucks will be playing their home games at Rogers Arena when the new season starts. And that's extremely exciting. And it, it, it's, it's it's exciting for a couple of reasons. Because obviously it won't impact, you know, the average fan here in Vancouver, or really any fans here in Vancouver, who we do not expect will be able to go see games uh, anytime soon. 
But the exciting thing, I think, is just, okay, we can put that conversation to bed, and now we can actually move on and focus on some hockey. And I've got my fingers crossed here because I now expect that we are joined by my co-host this week, Katie Caldwell. Katie, are you there? I'm here. Fantastic. Some technical difficulties, but we're back in business. We are back in business. And Katie, I was saying to the listeners, I'll say to you, I hope hope you're having a better holiday season than Bill Belichick and the the Patriots are. Oh, I got snowed in and didn't get to see my family. And I think I'm still having a better holiday season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into that throughout the course of the show. We'll we'll hit on the Monday nighter because that was that was a spectacle. Let's put it that way. And to see, you know, Bill Belichick on the sideline throwing his phone and, and all of that. It was for those of us who have been Patriots haters for the better part of two decades at this point, it was quite, uh, quite the sight. But as I was just talking about there, Katie, you know, I'm, I'm really, really excited to be back on the air because we, we can move on from the questions about, or at least temporarily, about the questions about COVID protocols for the NHL and what's the schedule going to look like, when are they going to start, all of that. We can even move on from where are the Canucks going to play because we have the answer to that now. And now we can just really start to zero in on the hockey aspect of things. And we're only five days out from training camp now. Training camp will get going this Sunday, January 3rd. It's absolutely astonishing that it's here so quickly. And you know what that means. It's as soon as we we have all of these other elements in place, we have answers to all of these other questions, it's prediction season, right? And it's projection season. And that's fantastic. I love that. And I've already started to see, you know, there's been plenty of predictions and projections coming out already. Certainly with the Canadian division, there's there's a, a heightened interest, I think, in how those teams are going to line up this year. And because fans have rivalries with the fans from the other markets, you know, I think uh, if you see a projection that has your team maybe lower than you think, you get a little extra perturbed by it this year. And there's been plenty of predictions already that have the Canucks, you know, finishing in the bottom half out of the playoffs in the North Division. And I just want to open the show by kind of getting your thoughts on what are what are reasonable expectations for this team. And I'll throw that out to the listeners as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hit us up. What are your expectations for the Canucks going into this year? And, you know, Katie, I say that because, as I said, I've seen a lot of upset Canucks fans seeing you know, official sources or analysts say, ah, I think the Canucks are going to finish fifth in the division. I think they're going to finish sixth in the division. And I've seen a lot of passionate and upset Canucks fans about things like that. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to, to be upset at projections like that. I don't either, especially because all of this just seems like such a coin flip. Like outside of Ottawa, this entire division, I can see it going virtually any way. Like that's the thing is I've I've tried to write down my order so many different times and I can't keep I can't stop switching it because there are just so many different factors that are going to go into this and I'm so so excited to see the storylines that come out. But yeah, I've seen the Canucks as high as 2-3, I've seen them at 6 and everywhere in between and Jamie, we're not really going to have any idea until we get out of training camp just because there's so many different ways this can go. It's I don't remember the last time I was this excited for hockey. <laughs> oh, it's it's just incredible. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. And, you know, you you summed it up nicely there where you just look at the shape of this division. Okay, as much as it uh, maybe pains a lot of people to hear and pains me to say it, I think on paper you have to concede that the Leafs 
have the best roster. And it doesn't mean they're a lock to win this, like I've seen some people saying, but it's fair to handicap them as the favorite uh, to win the division. And at the other end, you know, Ottawa has has made some nice additions. They've certainly improved their team. But the overall picture, the overall depth on the roster is lacking, in my opinion, compared to the other teams. So it's fair to kind of bracket it with, all right, Toronto, mm-hmm. you know, good sh- good shot at first. Ottawa probably going to be in the basement. But you said it, Katie, within those other five teams, there's not a single order that would surprise me if they finish, right? If the Canucks finish second, mm-hmm. yeah, wouldn't blink an eye. If the Canucks finish sixth, it would be disappointing, certainly, but I don't think it would be a shock. We can't sit here and say based on how they stack up against Montreal, Winnipeg, uh, Calgary, Edmonton, etc., that it would be shocking if they finish at six in this division. Exactly. There's nothing that will really, really shock me coming out of this. It's it's going to come down to so many things, Jamie, like who can stay healthy just with no, no preseason and then with injuries and then there's COVID as well. There's Coaching is going to be so interesting on so many different levels this season. There's going to be surprises in camp with so much movement, and I'm just I'm just so excited for it. But yeah, it, it definitely makes it hard to predict. I'm happy I'm not in a situation where I'm having to write down where people can call me out and keep the receipts yeah. of what order because <laughs> yeah, it's tough. But well, it, yeah, it, the- and that's what I was kind of getting to uh, off the top. You know, you mentioned receipts, and that it, it, we're very much in the receipts era right where somebody makes a prediction you take that screenshot you bookmark that tweet and you're ready to go when it turns out to be wrong and you're ready to say hey you how dare you you said the Canucks were going to finish fifth and they finished fourth what what's wrong with you and and I I think my message here is just pump the brakes a little bit on that Canucks fans because there's so much uncertainty first of all it's a close division right I mean you could easily see teams two through six separated by I don't know, four four points, five points at the end of this season, right? It's that close. It looks like it's going to be that tight. There's so much uncertainty with COVID uh, and with the, the nature of the schedule and how injuries and fatigue might play a factor. And then on top of that, Katie, I mean, don't forget, we're only playing 56 games this year, right? And and over mm-hmm. a relatively shorter sample size, lots of funky things could happen. And I'm sure, you know, you could go back and comb through the standings of years past and look at the 56-game mark and, and how things stood and how they ended up standing, and you'd find plenty of surprises there, right? So there is a yeah. lot going on here that makes this particular season extremely difficult to predict. It Definitely. And there, there are just so many cool rivalries that I'm looking forward to that we haven't even thought of yet because, the, like, I brought up coaching earlier. That's what I'm so excited to see because – you're not just planning for a team two days out and then traveling again for a different team. Like we're going to see so many playing of the same teams that there are going to be rivalries that like we've talked about the Battle of Alberta. We've talked about Battle of Ontario and whichever, but like I don't remember the last time Vancouver and Montreal have played this many times and things like that. Like there are just so many different factors going in and Travis Green, I'm sure we'll get into this, but He's someone that I'm really, really looking to see how he's going to do because, yeah, like so many different factors with the with the taxi squad and LTIR and just we've already seen like the lightning and the blues and how they've dealt with cap space. Like there there are so many things that, Jamie, I'm still waking up every day and trying to learn the ins and outs because so many of us still have so many questions because this has happened so, so fast. Yeah. Like I, I'm going back to the playoff bubble where it just feels like, 
okay, we're only talking about COVID and protocols and waiting for the provincial health authorities. And then all of a sudden it happens and it's like, oh, we're just going to hit the ground running and it's time to go. And that's the moment we're in right now. And it's just so, so exciting. But what are some of the things you're looking for in these next few days? Like, what are you most excited about? Where is your head kind of at up until training camp? Well, right now, I mean, really just kind of trying to wrap my head around the Canucks training camp battles Mm -hmm. and and what we're watching there. And I've got some thoughts on that. We'll get into it throughout the course of the show. But I I think a large part of it is just still acclimating to the fact that, you know, we're in different divisions. And I mean, I'll give you a a concrete example. The news has broken here over the last 24 hours that uh, the Habs signed Corey Perry to a one-year deal, right? And Mm -hmm. in a normal season... You kind of see that. Okay, you know, I, I obviously keep tabs on Montreal. That's interesting what they're doing. But this year, it took me a second to realize, oh, that means the Canucks are going to play Corey Perry nine times this year. That's nine <laughs> dates with uh, Canucks fans' old friend, Corey Perry. And I think it's just still, I'm still calibrating that, oh, right, you know, we're not going to be seeing the California teams. We're not going to be seeing Vegas, right? But all of a mm-hmm. sudden, when Montreal makes a move, that really dramatically affects how the Canucks season is going to play out. That is still taking some getting used to for me. It is for me, too, because you're right. Usually you'd be looking at the teams in your own division and then, oh, we're going to be playing him more and, and this and that. But And Corey Perry is a funny one, especially because he's just such a polarizing figure. And there are so many people that have so many strong feelings about him. And to throw him into the North Division is just, it's so much fun. Because, yeah, like, there's never been this gigantic Canucks versus Corey Perry rivalry that really, really stands out. Like, I start looking at the Brad Marchands of the world and stuff. But these are the storylines that I'm so looking forward to. Because no matter what happens, Jamie, no matter where each team finishes and who makes the playoffs... We can guarantee two things. This will be wild and this will be memorable. Oh, yeah. No matter how it ends. There's going to be something that happens in, in the course of uh, of this North Division, Canadian Division season that really just blows your mind. You know, whether it's a team going on an incredible hot streak that you didn't see coming or a team on the reverse mm-hmm. having a, a brutal month or six weeks of losing that you didn't expect because of an injury or whatever it is. There are going to be very unexpected results at different points of this season. And, you know, just to bring it back to the Canucks, it's interesting because it's very fair to look at this Canucks team and say there is a wide, wide range of outcomes that on mm-hmm. the table for them, right? Anywhere, I mean, really, anywhere from winning to the, the division, which I do think is a possibility, to finishing sixth and out of the playoffs. Every, all of that is on the table. And, hey, who knows? A couple key injuries. Seventh. And they could be seventh easily in a 56-game schedule. Easily, right? So, Mm -hmm. really, you have all of first to last place on the table. If you're just talking about expectations or realistic expectations, I mean, that's the range of outcomes we're talking about going into this year with the Vancouver Canucks. And I think it's interesting when you get into, okay, I can look at it analytically and I can take a step back and say that they could finish anywhere from first to fifth but that's not the same as being okay with them finishing and I first to last I should say that's not the same as them as being okay with them finishing in the bottom half of the division or okay with them finishing out of the playoffs I want to get to this text from uh, Jono in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. He says, a lot is unknown about how the season will unfold. I expect the Canucks to get a good amount of points. I expect bumps and bruises uh, as we see how Jim Benning's stay with the club 
will pan out. And and it's interesting that Jono goes right to the future of Jim Benning. I know it's a very popular mm-hmm. talking point with the Canucks, but I think he's right because, yeah, we can take a step back here at the beginning of the season and look at it and, and tell you all of the reasons why there's so much uncertainty and all of the reasons why this Canucks team could easily finish outside of the playoffs. But at the same time, they're coming off a, a second-round playoff performance that got people extremely excited. And if they are seen to take a step backwards this year, yeah, all of these caveats will apply, but there's also going to be a demand for accountability, right? Just because Mm -hmm. we can foresee a situation in which they miss the playoffs, it doesn't mean Canucks fans are going to be okay with it when it happens. And, you know, we've mentioned Travis Green. The uh, I, I know you and I are both big fans of what he's done with the Vancouver Canucks. This very, very much, and I don't think I'm uh, breaking new ground here, but this is obviously a season where if the Canucks don't meet expectations and they fail to make the playoffs, the fingers are not going to be pointed at Travis Green and the coaching staff. The fingers are going to be pointed right at the front office. And it's, man, if uh, we knew this already, right, that if you're going to be an Mm -hmm. NHL general manager, you've got to have... You know, nerves of steel and going into a year with this much uncertainty with where the stakes are this high for Jim Benning. I, this, as Jono says, this season could easily determine the future, his future with the Canucks. And I feel like I, I see those points. I hear them and I feel like I'm in a bit of a different camp with this because I, I accountability is important. That's no question. But there will be a good team or two or three that misses the playoffs this year. Like I almost look at it. Uh, similar to the AFC in the NFL, where it's almost insane that the Browns might not make the playoffs. We'll get into that later. But last year, they weren't necessarily expected to make the playoffs. And then for them to go that far, that to me and to a lot of people was a really, really nice surprise. They weren't the Tampa Bay Lightning last year or the Caps from a few years back, where they had these really high expectations and a potentially closing window. So for me, to slap these expectations on them after a really fun and surprising run, especially with all of these young guys, like I totally get it. You want to be able to point fingers. And I don't think that they should be let completely off the hook because this is a season where you see the elite coaches, you see the GMs and who's in it to win it. You will see that. But I also kind of feel like I want to take a step back a little bit. Because last year was a really, really nice surprise. And I think if they could make it into the playoffs this year, it would be building off it. But we have to be realistic of the pieces they lost. Yes, they brought some in, but it might take a minute for that to kind of all gel together. But I'm I'm not as quick to point all of those fingers at management, I guess, like other people are, just because of the circumstances that I look at it as a nice surprise last year. The interesting thing about it is, you know, we all know the history of ownership with this team, right? And it has very mm-hmm. much been a, a short leash for for general managers. Yes. If, you, if you miss the playoffs, you're probably done. And Jim Benning has been the exception to that rule in the early part of his tenure because they, they committed to a rebuild and because they had young talent coming on the way, you know, he got a bit of a reprieve from that. But I, I'm interested to see how that dynamic plays out, right? Because mm-hmm. in a normal world, if, the, if this Canucks team made the playoffs had a nice little run, and then came back the next year and missed the playoffs, I think it would be very clear that there would be a change in management. With all in a of, normal world. In a normal yes. world. That's the caveat, though, right? Because mm-hmm. there are so many factors now which suggest, okay, well, this was a weird 56-game season. 
Uh, there was unexpected financial implications because uh, because of the mm-hmm. pandemic that maybe has affected our ability to spend on the team, and maybe it affects our our willingness to go out and fire a general manager who would still be under contract uh, for another year beyond this one. That that could play into it as well. So it's mm-hmm. it's going to be very strange if we're in a situation here where the Canucks do miss the playoffs to see how ownership wants to handle it and. You know, you make a good point because it's not – I don't think it can just be as simple as, okay, you made the playoffs once. Now, uh, as soon as you fail to do it again, you ha- you have to be fired or you have to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. It's going to depend – let's say just in the – you know, for the sake of this discussion that the Canucks do end up missing the playoffs at the end of the year. It's going to depend on why that happens, right, and how that happens. Right. And if, if there exactly. are unavoidable injuries, I, I think people will be very understanding. At the same time, you know, you can um, you can look at this roster and you can see kind of the bets that management is making. Right? They are taking some gambles, and that's, I think, partly because they believe in those gambles, partly because of the financial situation. They've been forced into them to a certain extent, and by that I mean the salary cap as well as the actual dollars and cents. But you look at the goaltending tandem, for, for example. There's a bit of a bet inherent in rolling with Thatcher Demko and Braden Holby, right? You made a conscious mm-hmm. decision. We're going to save a little bit of money. We're going to let Jacob Markstrom walk, and we're going to go with Holby and Demko instead. Now, that bet, I think, has a lot of upside. That could be a really, really strong tandem, but it's fair to say there's downside there too, right? You don't know exactly how that's going to play out. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of situation where if the goaltending struggles, for example— and that's what causes, or that's one of the factors that causes the Canucks to miss the playoffs. Well, there's going to be a lot of people standing up and saying, hey, wait a second, why on earth did we let Jacob Markstrom walk to a divisional rival uh, and then we couldn't get good goaltending out of this tandem? Though Those are the kinds of spots on the roster where it's really going to, that's really going to, you know, determine our conversation about Jim Benning at the end of the year or the bets they've made at different points in this lineup. And I completely agree to that. And to those people, I would say, yes, I was also upset when Markstrom left, but I wouldn't want to be in the position of trying to figure out their contracts and cap situation moving forward from that, because there's a lot of other players that we've talked about all offseason about who we need to prioritize to sign and all of these different factors. So I, I get the frustration. He has been beloved in this city for so, so long. But I, I I get it. Thatcher Demko had such an impressive appearance when he came into the playoffs, and Braden Holpe, it's he's not a nobody. It's not that we're just taking a shot with Di Pietro and Demko. Like it's you've brought in someone that has won a Stanley Cup that seems to be a really really great fit for the city. Like I understand that there is a bet with all of this, but I like taking these bets. It the Markstrom situation is what it is. It sucked at the time, but now we've just all got to kind of move forward. But yeah, that's what I do want to say to those people is, yes, it would have been lovely to keep Markstrom, but obviously they wanted to and it just wasn't a situation that they would be able to keep all the guys they want under the cap. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But Jamie, as long as you've got Ian Clark in that building, I just have so much faith that no matter who they bring in, whether it's via trade or who they're developing, I just have so much faith in Ian Clark and how the organization has dealt with goaltenders lately that I can see Holtby doing well. I can see it being a situation and in a season where it's good to have two solid goalies. Like there's never been a season like this and like looking at Montreal before 
heading into the season. Like they're a team that I'm looking at just even in their crease because I think we're going to see the importance of good goaltending this year more than ever. So I'm excited about it. And yeah, like I said, Jamie, as long as we've got Ian Clark that's in the building with them, I have faith in these goalies for sure. Oh, and that's the interesting thing, right? Because yeah, the goaltending situation, if it goes poorly, it's going to be hung on Jim Benning. But I mean, standing, mm-hmm. looking at it when it went down and still looking at it now, to me, it's it was clearly the right decision, right? Rather than give Jacob Markstrom the big money contract as he ages, this is a much better option for me. And that's because of, you know, the youth of Dempko, the, the, the lesser cost uh, in the tandem. And, and as you said, the importance of Ian Clark. So, you know, there's always there's always two sides to this, right? You you evaluate it in the moment when it happens, and then you evaluate it after we see how it plays out. And I that can be tough because it's not always in the hands of the the people who make the decision and unexpected things happen. In the moment and right now, it was clearly the right decision to me. As as difficult as it will be mm-hmm. to have to play Jacob Markstrom or, you know, Jake, it won't be 10 times because he won't start all of those games, but seven or eight times or whatever it is for the Calgary Flames. Yeah, that's going to be really tough. It was still the right decision to go with the tandem mm-hmm. uh, in Demko and Braden Holpe. But, but there, you know, if that doesn't work out, there's still going to be lots of questions asked uh, about Jim Benning and that decision. It's the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in for James and Perry for the week. I hope you're having a fantastic morning. We're talking expectations for the Canucks as we're only a few days away from opening training camp on January 3rd. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts in. Join the conversation. Uh, And Corey Hirsch, Sportsnet 650's Canucks color analyst, will join the conversation next. We'll talk more about the goalies with him as well as his expectations for training camp. That's coming up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. What's going on? Welcome back to the show, Sportsnet 650, the starting lineup. Tuesday morning, starting our week here on a Tuesday on Sportsnet 650. Hope you're off to a good one already. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get in on the conversation. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in for James and Perry for the week. They will be back and ready to go in the new year. It's It's actually remarkable, Katie, because our first shows in the new year uh, Canucks training camp will already be in swing, in full swing. And yeah, I mean, we've been talking training camps get going uh, on January 3rd. But as uh, we just heard in uh, Chris Walsey's update there, the non-playoff teams, they can actually start playing or get going on Thursday. I mean, they're only two days away from training camp. It's remarkable. I know. I just gasped when I heard that. I'm so <laughs> excited. <laughs> We will start to hear, yeah, all of the uh, all of the scintillating news out of you know the Anaheim Ducks and Detroit Red Wings uh, training camp. But I mean, <laughs> I say that kind of sarcastically, but it's going to be fantastic all the same. Exactly. Just as long as hockey's back in some capacity, I'm so dialed in and ready. Sportsnet 650, the starting lineup. Corey Hirsch going to join us uh, momentarily here. Sportsnet 650's Canucks color analyst. You'll be able to hear Hershey, of course. On the call for every Canucks game this year. 
Uh, probably have him doing something during training camp as well. That all remains to be seen. Uh, but yeah, Corey Hirsch and Brendan Bachelor, of course, will have the call of every game right here on your home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. And there's uh, there's lots of questions to get into, Katie, as we talk about Canucks training camp. And we'll, we'll dive into some of the interesting battles and some of the big questions that need to be answered throughout the course of the show. Dan Murphy is going to join us a little bit later as well. This one comes in. Uh, from Jono, who says the other fun thing to think about is how to put together the Canucks taxi squad. And and yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's one of those little wrinkles of this season, you know, where a smart team uh, can, can approach it and maybe find a little bit of an advantage based on how they decide to build out their taxi squad. Yeah, that's a conversation I'm really looking forward to getting into later, just because there's so many different ways it can go. And like we talked about coaching earlier, I think this is where you see the really good coaches shine because, yeah, there's a lot of different options, especially with the Canucks, with the young guys and then with the older NHL ready guys with maybe a lower ceiling. There's just so many different ways it can go. And with this pandemic and situations like hoglander in the shl those are the conversations i'm definitely ready to get into later in the show because yeah the taxi squad is a pretty interesting addition to this season isn't it jamie yeah and the hoglander that's the name that you're going to hear most often in connection with at least in the lead up to training camp here in connection with the taxi squad and and questions about the taxi squad i know you know the great ian mcintyre here at sportsnet had a, a training camp preview piece up at sportsnet.ca that you can check out right now and one of his wild card questions was, okay, what do the Canucks choose to do with Niels Hoglander? And there's this, you know, we talk about the Canucks as a team having a wide range of outcomes this year. And I look at a player like Niels Hoglander, and that is a guy, you know, I mean, you could see him playing in the top six. You could see him going back to Sweden and pretty much anything in between. And and the taxi squad makes a little... You know, it, it it gives them a an extra option for a player like that, right? Where if you if you mm-hmm. th- if you think he's just on the cusp of contributing, right, but he's not quite ready, you can buy yourself a little bit more time with that player, keep him around, keep developing them, keep talking to him in practice, and, and you know maybe you get him in in February uh, rather than him having to be ready to go right when the puck drops in January. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I feel like the conversation we had earlier about how this division can go virtually any direction, I feel like that's basically a microcosm for all of these different factors in the season, including the taxi squad, because you're right. There are a bunch of guys like that where you're looking, you might be on the taxi squad, you might be in Sweden, or you might be on the second line. Like, who actually knows yeah. anything? Yeah, I mean, that's a, but that's an incredible range of possibilities, right? When you think about absolutely. it, that, that any of those things is legitimately on the table right and uh, you know I'm the second line yes it is on the table and we all know about the big top six battle we'll get into that as well but I, I mean I wouldn't put my money on it but if there's a chance if he comes in and, and just blows yeah. them away and he's already in game shape because he's playing in Sweden and they and they take a look at it and say man we have to get this guy in the lineup there's absolutely a chance that happens just the level of opportunity that's there for guys this year is unlike anything I've ever seen. That's what's so exciting. If you're if you've got an invitation to camp, that's what would be so so fun to me is just looking at the possibilities are basically endless just because there are so many unknown pieces on the team and with the squad, the taxi squad, 
we just don't know yet. So yeah, I just cannot wait for it to get underway. Trying to connect with uh, Corey Hirsch here. It's a little early. Maybe we're waking Hershey up, but we'll get him on the line as soon as we can and get into some Canucks conversation uh, with Hershey. But yeah, while we're on the the subject of the taxi squad, I mean, Niels Hoglander is going to be the name that everyone wants to talk about. I know there's an incredible amount uh, of hype to see what he can do in an NHL training camp. I mean, I'm really excited to, you know, get a little bit more exposure to him. We know he's in the city. There, There's a lot of hype building there and it especially because there's such an obvious landing spot for him in the lineup right this isn't a case where you know he he has to fight and scrape just to be on the fourth line there is a very very clear spot where if you're really high on Niels Hoglander you can imagine him playing a skilled role on this team because of the way the roster shakes up that's the name that I think is going to get the most attention in terms of rookies going into this training training camp the other one that is so fascinating to me, uh, and another guy that I'm just really excited to see what they do in a professional context here, is Jack Rathbone. And the Rathbone mm-hmm. conversation is interesting because right now, pending any other roster moves by the Vancouver Canucks, they could have a very, very young defense, in at least at the bottom of the lineup, at mm-hmm. the bottom of the blue line. I mean, we all know Quinn Hughes, an extremely young player at the top, but you look at the bottom, okay, Jordy Ben will probably be there, but then you've got names like Ole Levy, like Jalen Chatfield, like Brogan Rafferty. That's a lot of youth and a lot of inexperience to try to integrate. Will there be room for a player like Jack Rathbone, who from my perspective, he has the most upside out of any of those guys? He does for me too, but we talked about this last week, Jamie, where I'm still looking at it as Oli Levy's job to lose on that third pairing. But at the same time, like that's where camp is just so interesting because it really could be anyone. It's how you show in camp. That's what's going to be going forward because we don't have any preseason games. So yeah, Jamie, the opportunity is there. And for guys like you, Levy and Rathbone, I'm just so excited to see who's able to sneak in there. Sportsnet 650 here on the starting lineup with Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell. We're now very, very pleased to be joined by our very own Canucks color analyst, Corey Hirsch. Hershey, how are the holidays treating you, buddy? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. You know, it's, uh, uh, I mean, it's a little snowy, but you know, we're, we're good. We're hanging in there. How about you guys? We're doing really well. I mean, I know um, we're all just thrilled that training camp's only a few days away here, and you must just be uh, raring to go to get back in the booth and call some games here, huh? Uh, it's been, yeah, it's nuts, right? I mean, it's been crazy how how long this has been and and everything that's gone on, and, and it's just, you know, it's been, uh, it, it's time. It, it's time. I think everybody needs hockey back. Everybody wants hockey back. And it's time for us to, to get it going again. And, uh, you know, Hershey, just looking towards training camp here in the beginning of the season, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, on Braden Holpe. And specifically, you know, we all know he had a bit of a down year last year, but we also all know that he has an incredible pedigree and he's had an incredible career in the NHL. There's been so much talk about, okay, now he gets to come work with Ian Clark. What kind of an impact will Ian Clark have on Braden Holpe? Well, I think he'll he'll solidify his game. I think Holpe's got some he, he can overplay things at times, which you know because he's so athletic and and he really just tries to to battle through every shape. But sometimes there's an element of patience and trying to get things uh, under control. And I think that's where Ian Clark will help him. I think he'll help him 
you know, be able to, to work on, on con- controlling his game. And that's really what Hopi needs. And, and Hopi's a good goal. I mean, this is a guy that won a Stanley Cup. So it's, um, you know, it's a, it's going to be a good, um, definitely a good pairing for, for Braden Hopi, I think, anyways. Hershey, I want to ask you about the goalie tandem because Thatcher Demko, we saw him come in last year with just an electric performance. And now we've got Braden Holpe, as you mentioned, cup winner. What do you think the ceiling is for this tandem? And do you think it'll be a straight 50-50 split in game time for them? No, you know what? I, I, I think it's going to be a good tandem. I, I think the fact that the I, I think Demko is going to get the majority of the games and and rightfully so. I think it's it's time for him to to step up and see if he can be a number one. But if he can't, Holtby will kind of, you know, cover for him. And if Holtby comes out of the gate strong, well, then, you know, uh, he's going to be, he's going to be a guy that's probably going to play a little bit more than we think. However, you know, Demko's your guy. And he's your future guy. And to give him as much number one opportunity as you can, and you can't let him sit on the bench. So, uh, I know it's a short, quick season, but uh, you know we saw Demko in the playoffs. He was dynamite, but we can't expect that every night. That that's you know that's not fair. He's going to have some rough outings, and he's going to have some great outings. So the good news is is that he does have the ability to do what he did in the playoffs. We saw it, and that is there, and and hopefully he can get a lot of that uh, going again. You know, Hershey, we we saw it. I know you saw it. Obviously, calling the games last year, there were plenty of nights where. The Canucks gave up a ton of shots, but they ended up winning the game because Jacob Markstrom was sensational, right? And he was their best player, and he kept them in the game. Now, now obviously, they have two very talented goalies to rely on this year as well, but just from a psychological standpoint, not having kind of the security blanket of Jacob Markstrom back there to clean up some mistakes, does that will that change how the team plays? And, and do you think they'll have to adjust how they play with Jacob Markstrom no longer in the crease? Uh, you know what? I, I don't think they'll change. I think they're still going to be an aggressive team. Um, I, I think they're going to have to play a little bit smarter defensively than what they have. Uh, but that's not really a coaching thing. That's that's a decision a, a player needs to make and be smarter on the defensive side. The coach, the coaching staff is, is one of the best in the national. It's not a, there's not an issue there. They'll have these guys going and they'll have them playing well and performing well. Um, the question is, is going to be individual players on the ice and the decisions that they make to, to stay on the defensive side of the puck. That's where the issue is going to be. Uh, you have a lot of guys that are young that are still, you know, learning the NHL game. You, you can't get away with some of those things you used to get away with. So um, I, I think they still play an aggressive, up-tempo game. Their power play is going to get them enough goals. Um, the question is, is they're going to have to have to really buckle down on defense if they want to get to a third-round playoff matchup. Well, and speaking of buckling down on defense, obviously some pretty big losses for the Canucks in the offseason, but some additions as well. How much of an impact do you see Nate Schmidt bringing to that blue line for them this season? I, you know what? I, I like Nate Schmidt. I like him as a player. I think he's a puck mover. I think the Canucks had trouble getting the puck from the defense to their forward. Um, and I think he's a good player. I do think he's a little bit high risk at times. Uh, and he tends to turn the puck over in his own zone if he can clean that up. Uh, and be a, a really good, simple, you know, puck-moving defenseman. I think he's going to be dynamite. I, I like that move for the Canucks. He's definitely an upgrade from what they had, uh, even though I love Tanev. But uh, he's, he's an upgrade in the terms of puck handling. Uh, but he's going he's gonna to make a big difference on the, on the blue line as long as he can, you know, keep from turning pucks over in his own end. 
Hey, Hershey, uh, we're up against the clock here. We got to let you go, but we really appreciate the time this morning. And I, I know I, I speak for all the listeners. I can't wait to hear you and Batch uh, back on the calls in a couple weeks. Nah, me too. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks. We'll talk to you soon, Hershey. That is Corey Hirsch, Sportsnet 650's own uh, color analyst here for the Vancouver Canucks. You can hear him and Brendan Batchelor every single game exclusively right here on your home with the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I cannot wait to hear that tandem back in action. It's going to be fantastic. And, you know, I'm curious to see, and I, I'm sure we didn't get into it. We didn't have time there, Katie, with Hershey. But uh, I'm sure Batch and Hershey are both very, very curious to see, are they going to be in Rogers Arena calling these games, or they're going to be uh, back at a remote location like they were for the bubble uh, in in the summer. Just one of the many questions that we are yet to find out about this crazy no NHL kidding. season, Jamie. Yeah. It's, it's so funny because I kind of led the show with, oh, all the questions have been answered, and now we can talk about hockey. And <laughs> ah, That's not actually true. Not not quite true. Uh, there's still plenty of questions that we're going to have to ask uh, throughout the course of this season. It's the starting lineup here, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in for Perry and Seaball. We will uh, continue the Canucks conversation, also get into a little bit of the Monday night game, a blowout by the Buffalo Bills against the New England Patriots. That's coming up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. What's going on? Welcome back to the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell, about 10 minutes to 7, just on the other side of 7. It's Bertuzzi. Todd Bertuzzi, former Canuck, the big fella, uh, is going to join us uh, to chat a little bit about Canucks training camp. Excited to uh, to chat with Todd Bertuzzi, get his thoughts on uh, on what this season will look like. But Katie, I mean, we got to talk about what went down on, on Monday Night Football last night because that yeah. was an absolute... <laughs> beat down by the Buffalo Bills of their, not just division rival, but their division bully for decades. The Patriots have just completely ran that division. And I mean, the Bills, we all knew it was coming. Look, we all knew the Pats were bad. The Bills were good this year. But that was an exclamation point on both team seasons. We did know, but we didn't know to what extent. And last night, I think, was one of those games where oh, we saw just how good the Bills were and just how bad the Pats were. Yep. But I don't know about you, Jamie, but I think we were all ready for a changing of the guard in that division. Oh, it's yeah. just been, it's been so many years where it's just, the Bills have been so bad and the Patriots have obviously been elite. And it's just, it's fun. It's so much fun for those Bill fans. They're, if, if they could be, they'd be out there partying like it's 1999 again. But yeah, it's just, there are so many cool things that we saw in that game, Josh Allen, it's all off season. We talked about, is he going to make the jump? We're going to find out who he is. We were kind of looking at his entire draft class and man, he made the jump. I just, I can't say enough good things about him. The Josh Allen storyline this year is remarkable. I mean, I don't know that we've ever seen literally ever a, a quarterback in the NFL improve this dramatically. Mm -hmm. And in such specific ways, like he is just a, far more accurate passer this year than he has been. He, he processes the game far better. That Those are so hard to improve on once you're already in the NFL to improve like this. I don't know that we've ever seen it before. And I find it very interesting now because this is, 
it's a rare, unique occurrence. But you also know, Katie, that now every team that drafts a quarterback in the first round and they don't look great for the next couple of years, every fan base is going to hold this up as an example of why they should keep stick with their guy, right? You, you know, you can already yeah. sense this coming from Giants fans with Daniel Jones. You know, oh, well, hey, look, look, how, look how Josh Allen improved in year three, right? Maybe we can get that out of Daniel Jones. And I think it's fascinating because, you know, there's a point there that, yeah, guys can always improve you're not necessarily what you are in your first two seasons. But at the same time, I mean, you can't bet on this happening uh, with any regularity. It's been so so phenomenal to see. Well, and that's the thing is, I think it's good because we we have, we've given up on quarterbacks so early in their season or in their careers because we see guys come out and be electric right away. Like you look at the Joe Burrows, the Justin Herberts of the world. But with this one, I think the organization has so much to do with it because you look at the two different situations between the Buffalo Bills where you just cannot say enough about what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have done with that team. They they drafted well. They found a quarterback who we now know is elite. They put players around him and their defense has improved. Whereas you look at a situation like the Washington football team. Dwayne Haskins, we will get into that later, I'm sure, but he wasn't necessarily given a chance to thrive in that setting. And that's where I do think the quarterback and his development is a really big piece of it. But I also think the organization has a lot to do with it because, yeah, I just love what the Bills as a whole are doing and how they've how they've helped him, how they've protected him. I'm just so thrilled for that team. Well, and that's going to be the question. You know, when you're when Team X and the, and the fans in Team X take, you know, their struggling second-year quarterback and say, "Well, hey, he could turn into Josh Allen still." The questions mm-hmm. you have to ask are, "Okay, do you have do you have the coaching staff that Buffalo has? Do you have Stefan right. Diggs, right? Do you have the other talented wide receivers uh, around them? Do you have all of the other pieces of infrastructure that have allowed Josh Allen to take this step forward. And that's not to say that, you know, he doesn't deserve any of the credit. He deserves a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. But I also know that if, you know, he was going into his third year as the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, we would not be having this same conversation about Josh Allen. Woof. No, we absolutely would not be. <laughs> but now they don't need to worry. They have Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. They did it. They tanked. Oh, they man. tanked the best. The Jets, they went out and won a second game for uh, for good measure somehow against the poor Cleveland Browns. We'll talk about that more. Yeah, we'll get into all of the big storylines. This is going to be a wild Week 17. There are some really, really mm. crazy storylines going into the last week uh, of the NFL season as the playoff picture comes into focus. We'll get into that later in the show. But as promised, up next, former Canuck Todd Bertuzzi. You hear him every Tuesday here on the starting lineup. He joins us. We'll get his thoughts on the Canucks and the NHL season. It's Jamie Dodd, Katie Caldwell, the starting lineup here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> These guys are here to break it all down. This whining already this early in the morning for me is already getting me in a bad mood. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. The hometown team taking Mills Hoglander uh, had strong testing results at the draft combine, finished within the top 10 in seven, seven different categories. So, I love this guy. Hoglander. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Let's go. 
No Perry, no Seaball, not for this week. They continue to uh, enjoy some holiday rest and relaxation. It's Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in for you this week here on the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. James and Perry will be back in the new year. Thanks for making us a part of your morning. Uh, we're going to be joined by Todd Bertuzzi, as we are every Tuesday here on the, on the starting lineup on Sportsnet 650. Looking forward to chatting uh, with Bertuzzi in just a couple minutes. And, Katie, I'm excited to get Bertuzzi's thoughts on uh, a former teammate of his, Corey Perry, who signed yesterday with the Montreal Canadiens. Yes, that was one of my first thoughts I had when I found out we were bringing him on today is, okay, that's great timing. I'm sure he'll have a few thoughts about that for sure. Yeah, and just looking back at, you know, I um, they played together in Anaheim in the 07-08 season, and you just look at that team, and obviously Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry, Todd Bertuzzi was there, Chris Pronger was still on that team, right? You go down the list, uh, you know, Rob Niedermeyer, um, Travis Moen, that's, uh, you know, we all know that Brian Burke likes his truculence. I mean, that is about as truculent a team as you can find with that collection of players all in one place. Truculent is a really, really good way of describing that. Yeah, George Peros, <laughs> of course, was on that team. So, yeah, not, not a team you want to mess with, those 07 08 Anaheim Ducks at all. No, definitely not. But especially because of the season, we talked earlier in the show about how many times they're going to be playing these guys within the division. That's what I'm excited to hear Todd's thoughts on for sure. Because, yeah, like I said, I'm sure he's got some thoughts on it. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, you talk about the playing back-to-backs or playing three games in a row uh, against certain teams. And I'll, I'll have to go and see if the Canucks play more than two in a row against Montreal. But, I mean, even having a back-to-back with uh, a team with Corey Perry on it, you know, that creates, we've talked a lot about the chance, the chances for fireworks in those two, three, even four game sets between the same teams. Right. And you, you add a combustible element like Corey Perry, and we could absolutely be talking, you know, if these teams play Friday night and then Saturday, that Saturday game could be extremely entertaining. Yep, it definitely can. And I like the term combustible when you talk about him. Because, yeah, like I said earlier, he's a pretty polarizing character. And you either love him or you can't stand him. It depends if he's on your team or not. But, yeah, he's definitely someone that he's going to be so, so interesting in in this North division. And you just kind of start to, you know, look ahead to the matchups, right? Corey Perry and the Montreal-Toronto rivalry and Corey Perry against Matthew mm-hmm. Kachuk. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, Sportsnet 650 here, the starting lineup, Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell. And we're now very, very pleased to be joined by uh, our Tuesday regular. It's Bertuzzi. Former Canuck Todd Bertuzzi is on the line. Todd, Todd, thanks very much for making time for us. How are you? Good morning, guys, and uh, Merry Christmas, and let's hope for a better New Year this year. Absolutely. Well said. Did you uh, Were you able to have uh, a happy holidays, even despite everything that's going on right now? Yeah, no, everything was, uh, was good. I got my kids back here as uh, hockey's not going on, and school was shut down, so I got to spend a lot of time with the kids on that, waiting for the ice to freeze so we can get out in the lake and start playing some hockey. And uh, other than that, everything was great. Right on. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty nice, actually. Getting a little uh, little little lake hockey in at some point will be pretty awesome, I'm sure. And you know, Todd, we were just talking uh, before you jumped on the line about a former teammate of yours, Corey Perry. You played together with the Anaheim Ducks. He has joined the Canadian Division, signing with the Montreal Canadiens. What what do you make of the fit of Corey Perry in Montreal? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's a really good pickup. I think uh, uh, the worm. 
Corey Perry did his job in Dallas and elevated that team that needed a little bit of nastiness during the bubble uh, run in the playoffs. He contributed some key goals. And uh, if you look over the years with Montreal, it seems that they've, they've lacked that tenacity, that killer instinct, that uh, little bit of, I call it swag dirtiness that Corey Perry can bring. And uh, obviously with winning a Stanley Cup with Anaheim and uh, being an MVP in the league and uh, and being a playoff uh, big-time performer, I think it's an addition that uh, Montreal needs. And I think he can uh, elevate a lot of that group to uh, start playing that way. You know, and it's funny, Todd, because you mentioned that's an element that, that Montreal has been lacking. They've, they've traditionally been, or at least recently, been that kind of small, finesse team. But, you know, now all of a sudden you look at their roster and they, they brought in Josh Anderson as well this offseason, obviously with Corey Perry, uh, Tyler Toffoli, not not the same type of agitator, but a, a larger physical player. And you've still got guys like Shea Weber, like Brendan Gallagher there. I mean, all of a sudden they might be one of the tougher teams in this Canadian division. Yeah, it's well, they're in a division that everyone else has been playing that way. Um, and they're just they're getting uh, late to the dance. Uh, I think they're great acquisitions. I, uh, Josh Anderson, I think, is going to be the key one. Is, is he going to be that power forward and get you the 25, 30 goals and run a handful of people over and, and uh, chuck the knocks every once in a while just to keep the flies away? I think if they get that out of him, especially with that big deal that they signed, and then with, uh, obviously, Tafoli, Perry, and uh, and with Gallagher. Then they got some edge on uh, pretty much every line. And uh, then, obviously, at the back end, having uh, Shea back there, who always brings that bare presence. Uh, they're starting to look like a team that uh, can ruffle a few feathers. Well, and Todd, if there's ever a season where you want a bit of that extra edge, I think this is definitely it. We were talking earlier in the show about how many budding new rivalries we could see, especially in the North Division. Back in your playing days, how would you have felt about playing the same team so many times in a season? I'm actually looking forward to it. I think it's going to bring the animosity that uh, you're going to need in a – is it 52 or 56? 56. Uh, 56-game schedule, that's going to be compact, that's going to be quick, and it's going to go by extremely fast. I think on a day-to-day basis, you're going to need those rivalry games in order to amp up that kind of energy and excitement uh, uh, throughout this quick run to the Stanley Cup. I think with it being so compact and things are going to be happening quick, I think with with, with just happening within your own uh division uh, especially the canadian um i think it's going to be much needed and i'll tell you right now it's going to be like i said it's going to be fast furious it's going to be it's almost like we're going to get 56 games of playoffs that's the way i see it i think because it's going to be so much emphasis on getting off to a quick start and a fast start that the blood's going to be boiling and then you have all these teams uh, that weren't in the bubble that haven't played in almost a year we're going to be eager at getting at it. So I think it's going to be some uh, exciting hockey for sure. I think you're absolutely right about that and about it feeling like an extended playoffs. Uh, The Canucks are still a young team, but after last season, they do have playoff expectations now. How hard is it to transition from being an upstart team without any pressure to now one being expected to make the playoffs? Mm, Yeah, good question. Um, I don't, I mean, you know what? Yes, 
yes, they're well deserved. They they did very very well, but they also in unrestricted free agency lost a lot of uh, key crucial pieces. Um, I'm going to be probably looking more at who's going to step up and fill a lot of those roles. Like Toffoli, he seemed like a guy who can pot 30 to 35 goals playing with that roster. I think you're going to have to have Pearson stepping up, obviously Bertanen stepping up. You're going to have to have even your big boys, Peds and uh, Brock, uh, stepping up even more. And same with uh, Quentin Hughes on the back. And then obviously with Tanev gone, and then you got Schmidt coming in, who's going to end up having a contribute uh, more points and all that. So there's going to be holes to fill, but there's nothing wrong with building within your organization and seeing what you really have when, uh, when you lost some key pieces. So uh, I think they're gonna, their team is going to have to get off to a very, very quick start. I think the expectations in the city and, and within the organization are uh, extremely high and with the coaching staff. So I think their key is, uh, is, is getting off to a quick start in an extremely, extremely hard division. In conversation with Todd Bertuzzi here in the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. And, you know, Todd, you mentioned Jake Vertanen as a player who uh, fans and the team itself will be hoping he can step up and fill some of that void left by Tyler Toffoli. And it's interesting because it's also, as you said, a season where a quick start is so important. And we know that Vertanen has a history of not necessarily coming in and hitting the ground running in training camp. And with an even shorter training camp and and no preseason this year, it might be you know even more difficult for him to get up to speed right away. Why is it that that some players seem to you know some players seem to come in every year in training camp and they're ready to go and they're at a high level right away, and for others it takes a bit of a ramp up. Why is it that some players seem to take longer to get up to a hundred percent than others? I don't know. That's the million dollar question. <laughs> if I had the answer for it, I'd be a, a millionaire because uh, I could have solved a lot of the issues with a lot of these young guys, but. Um, if you ask me, I put huge emphasis on my start to the season. Um, getting that first goal was like one of the biggest things and that drove me all summer because that first goal is a goal that can catapult you to a very good season and getting off to a very fast start. So I focused a lot of my training on getting ready for that first game and coming out swinging. Uh, because if you don't get a goal your first game, then your second game, your third, and then all of a sudden you're looking your seven to ten games in without a goal, and your back's against the wall, and you start squeezing your stick, it gets a little bit harder and all that. Um, and when I say that, obviously we want to win games, but uh, me scoring goals and contributing offense equals to winning games, and I believe that's the same with Jake Bertanen. The, the more Jake can score, the more points Jake can put up, the more that team's going to win. So I always focus on my start. My start was crucial. I always wanted to get off to a good start. And I think throughout my career, I think I think the longest start I went was three games to start the season uh, before I scored. So I think the amount of pressure that I put on myself and the amount of work that I put in the summer uh, translated into success getting off to good starts. And you know, with the compressed schedule this year and a shorter schedule as well, it seems like that could be even more important, right? Because if you're a player who gets into a rut early in the year, you don't have as much runway to get out of that rut. And, you know, you don't have a lot of breathing room to kind of uh, get up to speed if you if you do get off to a slow start this year. No, you, you don't. And that's why it's going to be crucial. But at the same time, I got to think that not having – listen, this sports needs its fans in the stands. There's nothing, there's nothing better than – 
uh, packed hockey rink and uh, uh, the beer, the boys pounding beers and screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering and all that. It's one of the best atmospheres in the world at a hockey game. Um, but I, I, I got to think that it can go two ways. Having no fans can take pressure off you or having no fans can put pressure on you because you need, you're a person who might need that kind of um, um, atmosphere, surroundings in order to get you going and all that. On the flip side, it, it, it can also go in the right direction where you don't have your power plays not working, you don't have the fans booing or you're not in the visiting rink and it's hostile environment. There's only not all players can have success under those kind of environments and situations and all of that. So it's kind of twofold. It's, it all depends on your demeanor and, and how you're going in there with your attitude and all that. But it can go both ways. Having no fans can take a lot of pressure off you. But if you're a person who needs that kind of uh, fan interaction and, and that atmosphere in there to get yourself going, then uh, it could be a tough go. So there's a lot, Todd, that's really different about this season. One of the big ones being there are no preseason games. How do you think that's going to impact the season for the Canucks, whether it's training camp battles that would usually kind of go into the preseason or just um, things like injuries? How do you think it's going to affect their season? I would have played a lot more years if we didn't have preseason. A thousand percent. <laughs> there are, I honestly think they're a waste of time. Um just like morning skates, I think uh, you can easily mimic game-like game -like situations within your own group. But at the same time, you do have to identify your youth, uh, the guys who are on the bubble trying to make the team. And it's a little bit harder to get a good look at them without preseason. But for me, I was never a fan. Like, why do I want to play five, six preseason games? I don't feel like getting hurt. You have a couple of young guys trying to make the team running around and all that. It, it, it didn't do me any help. It might help other players and all that. I always thought that I, I got enough out of practices and all that. You can have uh, your probably 80% physical kind of inter-squad games to kind of mimic that and get that feel and all that, that you can get that kind of feeling and all that. And I think for the help of the players and all that, it's probably, uh, it's probably best for now. Uh, hey Todd, we always appreciate the time here on the starting lineup, and I know we're all we can't wait for the Canucks season to get going. So we have some real games to talk to you about, and I, I hope yeah. uh, I hope you're able to for, to get out on the lake soon that the that the water freezes over for you. All right, you guys take care and have a good rest of your week. Thanks. That is uh, Canucks uh, legend, former Canucks star Todd Bertuzzi here joins us every Tuesday on the starting lineup, of course, normally with uh, Perry Sikelski and James Sabalski. It's Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in this week. And, you know, I that's um, that's not the first time I've heard that from a former player, Katie. And I love how, you know, no surprise, Todd Bertuzzi just comes out and says it. Like, why do we play these preseason games? They're meaningless. They're they're dull. Like, if you're a veteran and you take care of yourself in the offseason, you shouldn't need those preseason games to to get into shape for for the actual season. In theory, you're right. You absolutely shouldn't. I just love how blunt he was about saying preseason is a waste of time. I don't feel like getting hurt. And it's interesting to hear him say that as a veteran, as opposed to one of the guys, maybe a Chatfield, a Rathbone and whichever, how different they could be feeling yep. about it. So, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty interesting without the preseason. But yeah, I liked what he said about that. I just I loved his his honesty. And it, it, you're right. It, it's depending on where you at, you're at in your career. 
you can understand why you'd have a very different perspective on the idea of a preseason game, right? I mean, if you mm-hmm. asked Adam Gaudet last year, he would say, I want 10 preseason games, right? Because he right. used those opportunities to make the NHL team. Whereas if you're a guy who's coming in, and this was Todd Bertuzzi for the vast majority of his career, you know, he was coming in as an established NHL player. He knew mm-hmm. he was going to have a spot on the roster. From that perspective, I mean... There's really only downside, especially as as Todd Bertuzzi said, you know, he always he was very diligent in the offseason and making sure he came in in shape to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. I thought it was actually really fascinating how he said uh, how much emphasis he put on getting that first goal and kind of getting off the mark right away, getting your season on a roll early. That's a really interesting perspective. But if you are in that mindset where you've done all your work in the offseason, you don't need to play yourself into shape. There's really only downside to a preseason and it's going to be really fascinating going forward. You know, I mean, the NFL didn't play preseason games this year. Right. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, has the product suffered significantly? I don't necessarily think so. Right. It's going to be interesting to see how different sports integrate some of these things they've been forced to do. Right. It wasn't the NHL's choice to get rid of preseason games, but do they end up taking a look at it and say, well, wait a second. Is there a reason we're playing, you know, eight of these a year? Or could we maybe get away with with two or three preseason games in the future? Yeah, the NFL is interesting talking about that because I think I might have a bit of a different perspective just because of the work I do with NFL rookies. So last year it was in person. I was working with the Chargers and you sit down and a lot of the conversation you have with them is how excited are you, whichever. And then this year we did it virtually. I was with a few different teams and... I I genuinely felt really bad for so many of them because they weren't given an honest shot and the excitement level, and yes, it was in person versus virtual, the excitement level was just different where it was, they didn't necessarily have those opportunities to prove themselves. And and it was hard. All of these guys, they've worked so hard to get there. And the preseason is really for the young guys, for the rookies, because that's when things like that happen. That's when like a quarterback controversy like Trubisky and Foles, that would have been probably hashed out in the preseason. So there there are benefits to it, but I, I also understand the perspective as a veteran in any sport, you're kind of going, what's the point of this? But yeah, I think I think a lot of things in hindsight, we'll look back and kind of see what worked and what didn't because the NFL preseason going to absolutely zero, we did see a lot more injuries in the first half of the year. It was super noticeable, much like the the season after the lockout where the the injuries were just explosive. But yeah, I think we'll look back and maybe they'll be adjusted where you don't need so many. But I think just having these conversations are important because we never really used to. It was just kind of part of it. And yeah, we don't like the preseason, but you didn't really think about how much it would impact things if you didn't necessarily have it. It is... You're right. And especially in the NFL where, you know, okay, maybe if you're a first or second round rookie, maybe even a third rounder, you're you're going to be on that roster. Anything else, right. rounds four through seven, certainly undrafted free agents, obviously. Undrafted, yeah. You know, that is your time to make a splash and to get on the mm-hmm. roster. And there's still been success stories this year, right? You know, you look at James Robinson in, in Jacksonville. There have been guys who've been able to find uh, their niche and, and have success. But you have to ask how many more people fell through the cracks because they didn't have that preseason opportunity. Uh, the starting lineup here on Sports 650 with Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell. And just to build on one of the other things that uh, Todd Bertuzzi said in that interview, which I thought was interesting, you know, we always talk about 
the difference between playing in a Canadian market and playing in not just an American market, but specifically a non-traditional uh, American market. And, you know, Bertuzzi is a guy who did both, right? He, he played, obviously, in mm-hmm. Vancouver. He also played in hockey mad markets like Detroit. But then he played in Anaheim. He played in Florida, right? He's had those different experiences. And it was interesting to see to hear him say, you know, without fans in the buildings, you're going to have to find other ways to get motivated. And I wonder if for some players, it is that that's going to be what the Canadian division does, right? Because if you're the kind of player who buys into the passion of a Canadian market, you'll be able to find a reason to get yourself motivated pretty much every night, right? Because, oh man, I know this is a big matchup. I know the fans, even if they're not here, they're into it. I know there's a lot of attention on us because we're playing the Flames or the Oilers all the time. And you can buy into that. But we also know, Katie, that there are other players who who don't really care for that aspect of playing in Canada, right? And they would maybe prefer to be somewhere else where there isn't all of yeah. that media attention. And I think that difference is going to be amplified, you know, 10 times over this year, right? I know there's not fans in the stands, so that takes away a little bit from it. But there is going to be so much attention paid to every single game this year. I think it's going to be... Even without fans in the stands, I think it's going to be the most intense experience, at least in a regular season, for players in Canadian markets. And if you're the kind of person who thrives on that, that's great. But if you're the other way, it could be really difficult this year. Well, and we had a lot of the same conversations heading into the bubble for the playoffs and heading into the NFL season. Because it's so dependent, like you said, Jamie, on the player and how how they perceive everything and how they fit into everything and what works for them and what doesn't with their motivations and whichever. And, oh, the one thing I can't stop thinking about, if there's one season where we desperately need fans, it's when there's an all-Canadian division. (laughs) Just can we we just all agree to keep this for one more season so we can all be in the stands for it next year? And then we can reevaluate, but... Oh, like I, I get it, but what a shame to not have fans in the stands. Because could you imagine? Oh man, Just it would be fantastic, especially you know any in the given um, you know I know at one point Calgary comes here to play three straight games, right? And, and you can only imagine how that would build uh, over the course of that three game series with fans in the stands. I'll say I'll, I have my fingers crossed. Not not you know I'm not hopeful, but let's say I've got my fingers crossed that maybe by the time the playoffs roll around at least in some markets, there will be able to be fans there because we're going to get three Canadian playoff series, three all-Canadian playoff oh. series this year. And, you you know, you talk about wanting to have fans in the building. Let's just hope that by the time that comes, uh, we will be able to have some fans there to witness that because that will be simply fantastic when it does happen. Uh, Sportsnet 650, the starting lineup. By the way, this hour is brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus Street in Vancouver or online at DunbarLumber.com. You can also text in 650-650 is our Dunbar Lumber text line. Get in on the conversation. We will continue the Canucks training camp conversation uh, on the other side, and as well, the World Juniors continue today. Team Canada and Vasily Podkolzin both in action later today. We'll talk about the tournaments for Team Canada and Podkolzin as well. That's coming up next. It's the starting lineup here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I walk alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took off. Oh, you're bringing me back, Faber. 
one of the uh, one of those music drops where I have to remind myself not just to let the whole thing play because I'm uh, enjoying it so much. Uh, Sports at 650. Oh, an entire banger right there. Uh, yeah, Chris Faber is uh, offing the show this week. You'll hear from him in a little bit. Uh, very pleased to have Chris Faber here with us uh, on the starting lineup this week. It is Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in for Perry and Seaball. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. By the way, this hour of the starting lineup is brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbuta Street in Vancouver or online at DunbarLumber.com. And, Katie, we just had a, a great chat with Todd Bertuzzi uh, in the last segment. We'll play a little bit of that later on in the show. You can also find the interview up shortly at sportsnet.ca slash 650. And we kind of danced around the subject a little bit, but, you know, you all, you and I and everyone listening know that Jake Vertanen is going to be a huge storyline going into training camp here. And I asked Todd Bertuzzi about why it is that some players just cannot seem to come into training camp in ideal shape and they just need to go through those tough workouts to get up to playing shape while others seem to have no problems doing it. And, you know, Bertuzzi's answer was basically like, look, I wish I could tell you because that would solve a lot of problems (laughs) for young players. But, you know, even more than the actual kind of training camp battle and and who ends up in the top six in opening night, even more than all that, I am just so curious to see how Jake Vertanen handles like day one of training camp, right? I mean, that's what I'm that's what I'm most excited to see in a way because the last two, and even going back farther than that, but especially the last two training camps, it has not been pretty for Jake Vertanen. And now you've got this compressed 10-day training camp with a, a, a wide open spot for him in the top six. And it's just the drama of, okay, can you actually seize this opportunity and come in and be in shape on day one? I mean, I, we all know it's going to be a storyline, and I just, I'm so curious to see how it plays out. It's another year, Jamie, and it's another conversation of what's Vertanen going to look like coming into camp. It's like you said, we have the same conversation every season, and and this one is different. Like, I, I subscribe to the mantra in my life of stay ready. So if it's yep. anything you're passionate about, if you stay ready, then you'll be good to go as soon as your opportunity comes. And I get that it's a bit different with they some they haven't necessarily had the resources and places to work out or whichever. Like in a pandemic, this season is completely different. But we're having the conversation again because it's been enough of a pattern that you don't really know what he's going to look like when he shows up. And we don't know what anybody's going to look like. But as we talked about last week on the show it's kind of his job to lose in that spot. And that's why it would be great for the organization if he shows up and he's ready to go because Travis Green, he's known for his hard training camps. Yep. And I think that's going to be so crucial more than ever this season because you can't afford to not have a super hot start in such a short and condensed season. So yeah, you're so right. It's so interesting to see who's going to show up ready and in shape and raring to go and then who takes a bit more time because I wonder how much patience he'll have with anyone that isn't ready and I mean Travis Green made that very clear in the training camp before the bubble in the summer right that if you're not ready to go right now I'm not waiting Mm -hmm. for you we need players who can play right away and obviously it's a little different you know in that situation you're going into a best of five play in series so I mean the margin of error was zero right you had to be going right from day one. A little bit different, obviously, in a 56-game regular season, but the same but principle not that applies. Different. No, that's the thing. The same principle applies. We can't be waiting two weeks for you to decide it's finally time to be in game shape. 
Like, you got to be going mm-hmm. on day one. And we all know Travis Green is legendary for his his training camp bag skates, and in particular on the first day of training camp pushing the players. And, you know, I wonder if he even turns it up another notch this year just because it is such such a short camp. It is such a compressed season. It, mm-hmm. It's even more important than ever before that these guys are ready to go on day one. Well, and we, we've talked about how many different variables there are and how many guys have opportunity this season with how many pieces that are gone from the offseason. So, yeah, this is one where you need that hard training camp because you need to see which guys have the highest ceilings because your opportunity is there. As we talked about in the last segment, like the opportunity for most of these guys is there. You just have to show up and you have to work your butt off because... Yeah, <laughs> he does not have easy camps. We've known that for many years, but yeah, it's so, so interesting, and I'm just so excited for it to get underway already. Sportsnet 650, the starting lineup here uh, with Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell, and we should touch on, you know, the World Juniors continue. Uh, Canada is in action later today at 3 o'clock against Switzerland, and also probably maybe of more interest for fans here in Vancouver, Russia and Vasily Podkolzin uh, will play Austria at 6.30, and you know, I want to talk about Vasily Podkolzin just before we get off of Team Canada. Look, I don't know how much you can draw from their first two games. In particular, that one against Germany was a bit of a catastrophe for a lot of different reasons. You know, they they eke it out against Slovakia. We all know they're not going to be really tested until they play Finland on New Year's Eve. Are, are there any takeaways that you've drawn so far from this Team Canada performance, Katie? Uh, I don't want to say takeaways necessarily, like... There, there are a couple names, like Dylan Cousins is a standout to me. He's someone that's really stepped up in Kirby Doc's uh, absence. Um, and Bowen Byram, he's someone, he's a name that's been floating around this region because he's actually from where I'm from and where I'm located right now. So that's been a pretty hyped up name for a long time. But I'm starting to recognize now that's hyped up nationwide because oh, yeah. Bowen Byram looks NHL ready. Like, I don't, I'm not going to say he's the best D-man in the turn, or in on Team Canada, I will say he's in the tournament. Yes. He at this uh, point. He's Byron like looks he's like he's playing, playing in, at a different level right now. Yeah. Totally. He's playing intense hockey. He's fast. He's got patience. He's he's someone that when you watch him play, he just gets it. And that makes me so A excited and B fearful for him and Kale McCarr together one day. Oh my goodness. As as if Holy. as if Colorado needed more exciting young talent coming up through the ranks. But yeah, Byram, uh, that's the thing. From a team-wide perspective, I don't know how much you can really say about Team Canada at this point, but uh, I'm glad you brought Bowen I Bowen Byram up because he has been the absolute standout for me as well so far through this camp and the future extremely extremely bright. Uh, for Bowen Byram, which, as you said, BC boy, obviously playing for the Vancouver Giants. I know that will uh, make a lot of people here in Vancouver happy. So I mentioned Vasily Podkolzin and Team Russia uh, going up against Austria this evening at 6.30. And the uh, the conversation among Canucks fans that's developing around Vasily Podkolzin, Katie, is so fascinating because... You know, we are all so excited. Okay, he's not getting consistent playing time. He's getting yanked around a little bit in the KHL. Now he gets to go to this juniors tournament. He gets to be one of the premier players on Russia. And finally, he'll get the ice time. He'll get the opportunities to really show what he can do as a prospect. And, okay, look, it's only through two games. The production has not been there. And all of a sudden, you can sense this this panic that a first-round pick of the Canucks is not living up to expectations. And what I find so so fascinating, right, is obviously the way we have always evaluated hockey players is first and foremost based 
on their production and and how many points are you putting Mm -hmm. up? How many goals are you scoring? How many assists are you getting? That's what we care about more than anything else. Obviously, those things are really important. You win games by scoring goals. But we're also starting to learn more than ever, I think, that, hey, actually, you can be a really, really valuable player without necessarily having high-end production. And I get it. When you're a prospect like Vasily Podkolzin and you're at this age, at this tournament, yeah, you would love to see him dominating and filling the net. But the interesting thing is, he's playing really well, even if the points haven't necessarily come yet. And I don't think this conversation with Vasily Podkolzin is going anywhere. I think this is going to last well into his time with the Vancouver Canucks, where the production is maybe never quite at the level you would want it at, but the impact is still significant. That's where I do get a bit frustrated with that narrative, because I understand it, people... People want everybody to be a Pedersen, and that's just not Pod Colson's role. Like, just because he's not producing on the score sheet doesn't mean that he's not producing in the game. Like, he's someone that the way he's able to orchestrate and set up plays, like, he's well-rounded, he's versatile. He's someone that he seems to be the glue of that group. And that, that's been consistent when anyone talks about him, whether it's the coach, whether it's teammates. He's like, he's not the flashiest guy, Jamie, but that's not his role on the team. And that's, that's where I get a bit frustrated with this narrative that so many people are just ready to call him a wash and whichever. I've seen nothing but him demonstrating a sense of leadership. Like he's someone that he's just so well-rounded and his strength that I've seen anyways is in the defensive zone and neutral zone. It's, it's his puck control, how he fights for it. It's, it's not necessarily everything that's going to show up on the score sheet, but it doesn't mean that he's not directly impacting how his team's playing. And I've seen so many flashes of that that I think he's going to be just fine in Vancouver. He drives play, which is so important, right? And we know right. how important that is, and that's the reason to be excited about the silly Buck Colson in this tournament so far. Uh, as I mentioned, Chris Faber producing the show at the studio here at Sportsnet 650 today for us all week with us on the starting lineup. If you're on Canucks Twitter, you know that Faber does fantastic work covering Canucks prospects for Canucks Army on Twitter, uh, his podcast, the Canucks Conversation podcast. So, Faber, I want to bring you into the conversation. What have you made of, you know, an admittedly very small sample of two games from Vasily Podkolzin at the World Junior so far? Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of what you guys have already said so far. I mean, he is going to dominate. Katie, you were bang on saying that he dominates those first two-thirds of the ice, but you're going to go into a game now against Austria where the U.S. just beat them 11-0. Russia just beat USA 5-3. Like, now is the time for Vasily Podkolzin to actually put up those points, and I do think that he does have to actually do a little bit more than he is doing right now. Unfortunately, like, the thing that I'm really seeing with Podkolzin, which is it's unfortunate because you see it at Ska over in the Russian KHL right now, is, like, he's the first to change. He needs to get off the ice quick after a 30-second shift. And I just think that he's almost just been, like, overcoached by Valerie Bragan over there to be, like, hmm. get to the blue line, dump the puck in, go for your change. You're a fourth-line player for me. And I that's just not what he has to do with this tournament. He needs to be the captain. He needs to be the guy who's driving towards the net because he has that skill. He's more powerful than all these guys in this tournament. And I just think he needs to use it. But he's had that coach in his ear all year long, all last year. And I just think that he almost just might be a little bit too timid because of that coaching. And it's interesting that you bring up the uh, the issue of coaching favor because I know I've already seen plenty of questions asked about how this Russian coaching staff is handling their team and whether they're getting the most out of their players in the offensive zone. And it's kind of frustrating. You know, they lost that game to the Czech Republic. They were shut out. And I saw plenty of people saying, what is this offensive game plan 
from the Russian coaching staff. It's kind of funny that we were all so excited. All right, the leash is off. Here we go. He's going to dominate the World Juniors. <laughs> and then he runs into another subpar coaching situation, it seems like. Yeah, it's it's tough because like you'd like to see that leash come off and just see this guy be an absolute dominant player. I mean, going into this tournament, I looked at Kirby Doc, I looked at Vasily Podkolz, and I said those are the two strongest forwards going into this tournament. I mean, these guys can lean on players, specifically looking at the defenders that you're going to see in this game for Austria. Like this is the game where Vasily Podkolzin can literally just put his head down, lean on a defender, and know that he's the better player and can get to the net. So you're going to want to see that tonight. And I think that honestly, if you don't see that tonight then you should actually start to have these questions that we're seeing on Twitter right now. But as for the reaction, it's been a little insane, to be honest, what we're seeing on Twitter. But, hey, that's Twitter, right? That, that's Canucks Twitter, man. That's what it's going to be, and that's fine. You got you to gotta, you gotta live with it at this point. But, yeah, expectations continue to be very high, and we'll see if Vasily Podkolzin can really ignite his tournament tonight against Austria. That's Chris Favors producing for us all week here in the starting lineup. Jamie Dodd, Katie Caldwell filling in for Seaball and Perry. Dan Murphy is going to join us just after 8 o'clock. We'll dive more into the Canucks training camp conversation. We'll talk a little NFL. A look ahead to Week 17. That's up next. It's the starting lineup here in your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. Starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in this week for Seaball and Perry. And uh, it's so funny, Katie, because, you know, we're talking about the intense reaction to Vasily Podkolzin's tournament on Twitter. We bring it up here and immediately our uh, our text message inbox lights up with reaction to the Vasily Podkolzin conversation, uh, which is no surprise, really. I mean, we know we know that Canucks fans love to talk about their prospects. This one comes in immediately. Canucks Twitter need to relax. Pod Colson will be fine. He's 19 years old. And then, you know, almost simultaneously to that, we have uh, unsigned text. I still would have rather picked Cole Caulfield. So that it's uh, it's just one of those things, right? You talk about Canucks prospects, and right away, people people have strong strong opinions. Of you Canucks fans, because it's fun to talk about all this stuff and. Yeah, we're only a few games in, and I feel like that's a good conversation to revisit when these players have started to make the NHL and then fit in with their teams, but never too early, I guess, to start speculating. <laughs> nope, it certainly isn't. And, uh, you know, speaking of speculation, we're uh, we're looking ahead already here to what should be a pretty interesting Week 17 in the NFL. Playoff spots still on the line. You know, a lot of the playoff picture was settled this week, things like the Canucks, or excuse me, the Canucks, the Seahawks winning the division, but lots on the line in Week 17. And the really interesting thing to me, Katie, is there are a bunch of different teams going into high stakes, must win, or very close to must win games with major uncertainty at quarterback. We're not really used to seeing this this late in the season, and I mean. In the case of one team, the Washington football team, this isn't because of injury. This is just because they released their quarterback. They cut Dwayne Haskins for a lot of reasons, on-field performance in particular. But it's remarkable to, to see a team going into a must-win to get into the playoffs game and cut the guy who started the last two games for them at quarterback is remarkable. 
It's remarkable. And if we're going to talk about Dwayne Haskins, look, they all laughed when the Giants drafted Danny Dimes over Haskins. I'm just saying. (laughs) It's a great point. It's a great point. Who's laughing now? But yeah, let's talk about him for a bit. It's so interesting to me because you're right. It's typically they wouldn't necessarily be anywhere close to the playoffs this season. And it wouldn't it would just be a bit of a throwaway game. But yeah, it's in the NFC East. They're on a different planet than the rest of us. So you can have just a few handful of wins and get in. But the thing is, is what a lot of people don't realize is Ron Rivera has no ties to Haskins. Like he walked into that mess. Haskins was a favorite of Dan Snyder. So Ron Rivera, he comes in. He's responsible for essentially fixing a toxic NFL team that has a lot of problems. And I'm talking on the field and off the field. But why are you going to have that much, that level of patience for a first rounder who's been nothing but careless off the field mm-hmm. and on the field? He loves throwing picks. It's did. They, and I will say this. Did they give Dwayne Haskins a fair chance? Absolutely not. But he's not the the reason for their big culture issues. But yeah, it's it's such an interesting one, Jamie, because I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. It's so 2020. And it is in a lot of ways a power move by Ron Rivera, yes. right? To say, yeah, I know the owner loved this guy. The owner was the driving force in drafting him. And I know we're going into a must-win game. And I'm still going to cut him because I don't like him and I run the show here. And Good. It, yeah, exactly. Look, if you're a fan of the Washington football team, that's exactly what you want to see because Ron Rivera has already done more in less than a full season to make that team likable, to make it credible, to make them competitive than Dan Snyder's done in his entire time as the owner of that team. So if the power is shifting from Dan Snyder to Ron Rivera, I mean, that's the best possible thing that could happen to Washington. Maybe it doesn't result in a playoff berth this year, but Long term, I mean, if this team does end up being a credible, competitive NFL team in the long term consistently, I mean, we might end up looking back at this as the turning point, right? As the time where Mm -hmm. Ron Rivera officially stood up and said, listen, I'm the guy who runs the football decisions here. Dan Snyder, I don't really care what you think because I'm going to actually get results on the field. All of that while also just casually beating cancer during the time of the season as well. Not bad. It's so wild, but yeah, I could not be more impressed with Ron Rivera. I, I, you'd hit the nail on the head. I love that flex of just coming in and saying, "Yeah, this is my team," because it should be. He's proven himself. That team has been, man, have they been fun to watch this season? And so much of that, I think, is Ron Rivera. I'm, I've always been a big Riverboat Ron guy, but oh, yeah. this season especially, I'm so so impressed with him. And I do. I like that flex where he's saying, "This is my team." Dwayne Haskins does not deserve to be here right now, so he's not going to be. And he didn't, so he's not. I yeah. I love it. I yeah. love that move. It's uh it's a bold move. And again, it's um it's not just a short-term play here, it's a long-term play by Ron mm-hmm. Rivera. And I, I think it will ultimately end up being the right decision. I mean, they're kind of, you know, to use a cliche, they are playing with house money a little bit here because I don't think anyone's gonna be too upset if they end up missing the playoffs this year given how how that division has uh, has played out it's not a it's not as if you know the team desperately needs this playoff appearance so they can afford to make a long-term play here but I do think we will look back uh, at this decision and say that is really the moment when when Ron Vera Ron Rivera took control in Washington and hopefully uh, got that team back on a better track going forward 
It's Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in on the starting lineup here all week long for Seaball and Perry as they enjoy an extended holiday vacation. Dan Murphy, he's not on vacation. He's working. He's going to join us next. We will look ahead more to Canucks training camp. Also get the latest on the Travis Green situation and when we might expect a contract extension between Green and the Canucks. It's the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck Commute. The hometown team taking Mills Hoglander uh, had strong testing results at the draft combine, finished within the top 10 in seven, seven different categories. So, I love this guy. Hoglander. This is the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski. It is your 8 a.m. Canucks commute here on the starting lineup. Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in for Perry and Seaball. They will be back in the new year once Canucks training camp is in full swing. Really excited for that. Dan Murphy going to join us momentarily here. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on Canucks training camp and the uh, the Travis Green situation in particular, Katie. And I, I'm excited to talk to Murph uh, get his thoughts on um, when we might see an extension for Travis Green, if we will see one, either before the season or in the early part of the season. And, I mean, the interesting thing about this is I don't think you can find anyone or many people, let's put it that way, because you can always find somebody to say anything. But the vast, vast majority of, of analysts and observers and, and fans seem to be in lockstep that Travis Green is the person to lead this team going forward. And it's just... There's no debate about that. It's all dollars and cents, and that's a bit of an interesting dynamic. You know, normally with a coach, when they don't have an extension, there's an element of, well, we want to see a little more from him, or we want to see if they can make a playoff push this year. And, I mean, that's just not the case at all in this situation. Jamie, have we found it? The one thing that unites Canucks fans? This might be it, really. Travis Green's job <laughs> performance might be the one thing that virtually everyone can agree on. And uh, I want to bring so I want to bring Sportsnet's Dan Murphy into that conversation now. He joins us here on the starting lineup on Sportsnet 650. Murph, thanks for taking some time this morning. How are you? I'm doing good. Isn't this a pleasant surprise? Yeah. I don't have to listen to condescending Sabalski and <laughs> Perry try to be funny and it's just a nice, nice change of pace. I'll tell yeah, you, that. you gotta, you gotta Good put morning. up with me trying to be funny instead. So I, uh, I apologize in advance. Uh, how was, uh, how was Christmas at the, uh, at the Murphy household? It was great. You know, a little bit quieter than usual, which is, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. But um, overall, no reason to complain here. The child was uh, uh, spoiled, so was the dog, and um, <laughs> you know, other than that, it was a, it was a real nice time to have with family and. Uh, uh, didn't go crazy with too much family, if that's the way you can say things. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. A nice <laughs> uh, a, a change of pace, a quiet change of pace for Christmas this year for a lot of people, for sure. Dan Murphy yeah. joining us here in the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. And, you know, we were just talking, Katie and I, before you joined us about the, the Travis Green storyline going into training camp as, as we, we know there are negotiations or there have been negotiations about a contract extension. Obviously, nothing has been put to paper yet. What's the latest you're hearing on a potential extension for Travis Green? I just find it a little bit odd that it hasn't gotten done uh, yet because it, in my mind, I don't think it should be that difficult to negotiation. Now, of course, I'm the one saying that and I'm not paying the money or asking for the money. Um, but let's not forget, I mean, we all hear the, 
I guess the rumors that perhaps cash flow is a is a bit of a concern right now, and I think it probably is with most owners, right? You're not going to have fans in the seats or the buildings that have some, like Dallas will have minimal, and hopefully by the end of the season, maybe some other uh, owners will get fans in the seats. So, you know, you're not going to get the gate revenue, which is such a, a large part of uh, the National Hockey League. Um, but here's the thing. The, the, Travis Green has a contract for this year. It's, this is not the year you're worried about. It's after this year, and I think we all believe that starting next season, uh, the things should be relatively back to normal. Um, you know, most of Canada should have the vaccine by uh, late summer or September. Um, so you're looking at next season when this extension happens. And on top of that, he's getting paid a million bucks a year or right around that. The league average is about $3 million a year for coach, for the guys we know about. Not all coaches' salaries have been disclosed, but for the ones we know about, at least two-thirds of the league, the, the league average is around $3 million a year. So you'd think that Green, you'd take, um, and I'm just spitballing, but maybe a three-year extension at about $3 million a year, and it's done. Um, that's, in my mind, the way it should go, but clearly it hasn't at this point. I don't know if it's a problem if you start next season on the 13th, uh, and Travis Green doesn't have a contract, will he hold a grudge against this organization if that happens? Or I guess if there's negotiations in good faith and you feel like things are moving, then he won't hold it against the organization. So I, I find it a little bit curious that uh, something hasn't gotten done. Um, but certainly one thing you can say about this organization is that there aren't a lot of leaks. So we don't know uh, you know, how much negotiation being done we don't know if they've gotten close, if they're trying to get it done before the season starts. I just think that for me, uh, it should be something that shouldn't be all that difficult to do. And it is interesting, too, Murph. I mean, you make a really good point that it, there seems to be a logical end point here, and it's a little strange that they haven't gotten to it. it for me, I know I, I know Travis Green's stock went up around the league, I think, a lot last year and with what the Canucks were able to do uh, with the bubble. And it seems to me that, you know, if this is another successful year for the Canucks and he guides them to the playoffs in a, in a strange season, again, that his demand, his, the demand for Travis Green services around the league could just go up even more and, and put the Canucks in, in an even more difficult position then. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's obviously the way that Green would love it to go. The, the, the flip side is that um, if you're one of the people, and I think most people around the league, the Canucks, uh, you know, maybe if they haven't taken a step back this offseason, they've kind of stayed stagnant. Yes, the top four on the defense is better with the acquisition of uh, Nate Schmidt. Uh, the goaltending, you think, is probably taking a step back without Markstrom. You've lost to Foley. So you just hope that if uh, Green goes into the season without a contract extension, uh, that his extension won't be based solely on the team's performance from this season because. I think that would be a little bit unfair uh, considering the work he's done up into this season. Uh, but you're right. If he has another outstanding year, um, is able to make adjustments, is able to uh, you know, direct this club to a playoff spot. And you know, most uh, uh, people that are making these predictions say the Canucks will not make the playoffs in the North Division. Um, so if he's, he manages to do that, uh, then you're right. His stock will go up. He's a young guy. Uh, he's proven to have success at the American Hockey League level going into the Calder Cup final. Uh, he's shown that he can work with younger players and develop them. Um, so I think he's done a fine job. And I, I'm, I'm with most people. I think that, you know, the adjustments that he made on the fly in the playoffs uh, kind of spoke that he was ready to take the next step as a head coach in the league. 
And um, if the Canucks don't lock him up, I think that there would be other teams willing to do that if he uh, somehow gets through the end of the next season uh, without a contract. Well, Murph, you're right about the adjustments that he was making through the playoffs. Um, outside of the game and in-game, he was making adjustments, but mm-hmm. a lot of tough decisions heading into this season. And one of the burning questions that Canucks fans have going into training camp, who's the sixth top six forward on opening night? <laughs> oh, man, I wish I had the answer for you, Katie. Um, and, I, and I fear <laughs> that the answer uh, might be Louis Erickson. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and I just put it this way, um, because I don't know if you're ready to plug uh, Jake Bertanen onto the top line, right? So if we believe that the top line will be the lotto line with Pedersen, Besser, and Miller, uh, if we're going that route, then you look at the second line, which is Horvat with Pearson and who plays on the wing. Well, if that's going to be a matchup line, then it's not going to be Jake Bertanen. I'm sorry. The coach is not going to trust him on in a defensive type of role. Now, if you put Besser on the second line with Pearson and Horvat, um, because he's shown that defensively he's one of their better forwards, uh, at least the numbers back that up, uh, then are you ready to give Jake the top line spot at this point? I'm not sure you are. So it's just so difficult to say. It, it, it depends on how the lines are going to be constructed. Is somebody else from the bottom six ready to make a step up into the top six? Um, you know, where does Jace Howerluck plug in? I don't think he's into the top six at this point. Uh, so it's it's a very interesting question. I don't believe that, uh, you know, uh, Niels Hoaglander is ready for that. Now, hopefully he dazzles in, in training camp and all of a sudden that's an option. I just think that we know with this coach, he likes to go with what he trusts. And we saw that when there were no other options, what he trusts is Louis Erickson being on the right side of the puck, uh, even if it means that the offense is kind of going to die a little bit on that line, just to have a matchup line. So, um, <laughs> you know, I know the Canucks fans don't want to hear it, uh, but with the uh, Foley gone to Montreal, uh, it might go back to what Green trusts, and that might just be Louis Erickson again besides, uh, beside uh, Bo Horvath. Well, and there's a lot of uncertainty other areas too, but it could mean a lot of opportunity. Uh, Murph, which young defensemen are most likely to be in the lineup on day one? Well, just reading into what uh, the GM has said in pretty much every interview, and he's made a note of, of you know, Ole Olevi going to be on the team. I, I just truly believe that he's going to be uh, in the lineup uh, for opening day. Um, you know, I don't know sure how the top four is going to be constructed, uh, but if you've got Edler and uh, Hughes and Myers and Schmidt, um, then I think Ulevi is going to be on the third pair on the left side. Now, who does that leave on the right side? I don't think the coach is going to want to have two defensemen playing uh, their offside. Uh, Nate Schmidt already will be, so I'm not sure about Jordy Ben being on that third pair. Um, and then so your, your only other options for right-shot guys are Brogan Rafferty and, and Jalen Chatfield, and I know. Uh, Rafferty's played, what, two games in the league the year they signed him. Um, uh, Chatfield is yet to break in. So does he want an all kind of rookie third pairing? That's a, another question. Uh, but I, I think right now that Yulevi's probably got uh, one of the spots locked up, and I just think that's one of the really curious things. Um, you've seen Slatter Cuckoo uh, signed recently to, what, 750K with the Oilers. Um, you know, you know that a guy like Travis Hamannick is still out there. Uh, what? How cheap would he come to Vancouver to stay uh, in Canada 
and near the West Coast. Uh, and is ownership willing to pony up? You know, they can afford seven hundred fifty grand. They still got that room, assuming that um, Michael Furland will go on LTIR. So uh, that's kind of the thing. If 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 all of a sudden you see Travis Hamanick sign somewhere else for around that that figure, then you probably know that ownership wasn't really ready to spend the money because you know that Travis Green would love to have a veteran guy for the right side on the third pair, especially considering that he's likely going to have to go with Ole Levy on the left side. So I think that's kind of one of the real uh, intriguing things heading up into training camp to see if there will be you know, an all-rookie third pairing on this team. In conversation with Sportsnet's Dan Murphy here on the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. And, you know, just to your point, Murph, about whether we will see uh, another roster addition here. I mean, we're all expecting Michael Furland's salary to go on LTIR, and that will free up a little bit of space. You know, you said it could come down to whether ownership wants to spend the money. Just from from the outside looking in, what's your sense of of what we will see? Do you think we will end up seeing Jim Betting dip back into the free agent market, whether it be a Travis Hamanick or someone else on the back end, or or do you think they're content, uh, at least from management and an ownership perspective, to go into the season with this group that they have? I think right now they're content, but that's. Um, you know, I, I do have to believe the coach would like another veteran guy on the blue line. I, I just I, I feel like uh, that. And if you were asking him what he would rather have, another veteran defenseman or perhaps someone that could plug a little higher than than Louis Erickson, I think he's probably going defense at this point. Uh, but given the fact that they haven't done anything else except sign their own guys, um, I just don't know if it's going to happen unless. You can somehow get uh, Hamnick or someone of the like for cheap. And, um, you know, when you see some of these players have been signed on, on bargain deals and the Canucks, you know, we haven't heard they've been on these, I just have to, to believe that ownership and management at this point is content to go in and see what the young guys can do this season. And maybe this is the season to do it. Um, you know, maybe they believe that, you know, they can – have a, a, a good solid season, make the playoffs and make another run. But maybe this season, I said this earlier in the summer, maybe this is not punting on the season uh, because you'd hate to do that on the final you know, years of entry-level deals with guys like Pedersen and Hughes. But maybe they just know that they're hamstrung with some of these bottom six contracts with the way that they've doled out some of the salaries that um, this year's not lost, but you're kind of looking towards next season and you don't want to allocate any more money uh, at this point until you kind of figure out what your plan is moving forward. Uh, but certainly that wouldn't stop you assigning a guy for one year um, to help on a defense. So to, to me, since nothing's been done, I kind of have to believe they're content with what they have right now. And, and Murph, you know, we've touched on a number of young players in, in this conversation, whether it's Niels Hoglander or um, not only Elvia, Brogan Rafferty, Jalen Chatfield, who are kind of on the fringes of the lineup discussion right now. And one of the interesting wrinkles about this season is, is the existence of the taxi squad, right? And I'm curious to see how the team ends up using those extra roster spots or those quasi-roster spots, and especially on a player like Niels Hoglander, who has different options, right? He could theoretically go back to Sweden uh, if he's not able to break into the lineup right away. A player like Jack Rathbone, that might be a landing spot for him. How do you think the team is going to approach building out that taxi squad of players this year? Well, I think uh, a lot of it will have to do with uh, what the AHL ultimately looks like. I mean, um, you know, what kind of season will Utica have? Because you know, they're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to get to games in the American Hockey League. And if, if you still think that's the best way to develop these guys, then I think you'll probably see more guys like 
uh, you know, Bailey, uh, Chatfield, uh, those type of players beyond the, the taxi squad. And maybe guys like, you know, Cole Lind will go to the AHL and you'll send Hoaglander back to play games in Sweden because you know they're playing right now and you can develop. So I think a lot of it will have to do with, uh, you know, what the American Hockey League is going to look like. Can you send your younger guys that need to play a lot of minutes back there uh, that need to develop as opposed to players you kind of know what they already are, like, uh, you know, Justin Bailey. Um, so I, I think that once they know what the, the AHL will look like, um, and if you figure, I, I just don't think Hoaglander will be a guy that will play on the taxi squad. If he's not making the team, I have to believe he's back in Sweden playing games. So um, if there is a development league for these guys to go to to play meaningful games, I think some of the younger guys that need minutes, uh, like Rafferty maybe, or uh, Rathbone, um, will have to go that route just to get the extra minutes in. Because, yes, I mean, there is something to be learned from skating every day with National Hockey Leaguers, from seeing how they work, uh, how they train, all that. But there is some benefit to that. But I think, you know, the most beneficial thing is playing meaningful minutes. And if they can do that uh, in the minors or back overseas, that's probably the best route for your developing players. Last question here for you, Murph. Earlier in the show, Jamie and I were talking about expectations for the Canucks and how we can see there being a path for them to finish basically anywhere in between first and sixth in the North Division, maybe even seventh, who knows, it's 2020. <laughs> what do you see the floor and the ceiling being for this young Canucks team this season? I don't see number one being the ceiling at this point. I think maybe two would be uh, the ceiling for this club. I think it's going to be difficult. Um, you know, some of the stuff, I mean, I don't think Ottawa is going to be a total walkover. I mean, it seems like they're putting a lineup together that, uh, at least they, you know, they, they aim to compete. Um, you know, Montreal's kind of a weird one, right? They, they weren't going to make the playoffs last year. They had this little magical little run beating Pittsburgh in, in the bubble. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, kind of the, the theory on the Habs has changed. And now, look, they've made a number of acquisitions. And I would think they're probably the most improved team in the so-called uh, North Division or All-Canadian Division. Uh, Calgary has gotten the goaltending they need. Uh, Edmonton, despite not making improvements uh, in goal, have made some real shrewd signings. And they've kind of surrounded their star players with, with better talent, which is what they've always tried to do and what they've needed to do. Um, you know, Winnipeg is kind of weird because... In Vancouver, I don't know if the Canucks have beaten Winnipeg since they come back in the league. They kind of just seem like a team that always beats Vancouver, bad matchup. So I think there's a, there's a lot of, of, of good teams here in this North Division. Um, and I just think Vancouver's depth is a little bit of a problem. Now, the, the toughest thing to do as a GM is to get the high, high-end talent. They've got that. They've got Pedersen. They've got Hughes. You know, they've got a young captain who, you know, made huge strides there uh, in, the, in the bubble. They've got a goaltender who they believe can be a number one in Demko platooning with the guy who's one of Vesna in, in Holtby. So there are pieces there, but I just think the depth around Vancouver is a bit of a problem. And, you know, we're talking, is Louis Eriks going to play in the top six? What if they have another injury in the top six? Then what does it look like? So I just think that they, there's some depth issues for Vancouver. Uh, sure, you know, you could, you'll bail it out by your top guys, by your power play, by great goaltending. Uh, I think it's just a bit too much to ask. So I think if I was a, an odds maker, my over-under would be four. Uh, in the division, and since I'm such a uh, you know an optimist and uh, you know puppy dogs and and, and rainbows, I'll go three. Uh, I just don't see um, at one being a possibility, and I'm not going to say seven. That's for sure. And Murph, just before we let you go here, how are you feeling about your uh, your Seahawks coming off an NFC West clinching win against the Rams? 
Listen, the, the the Seahawks. Anytime they can beat the Rams, I'll take it. You know, those <laughs> games are going to be ugly, um, uh, quite, almost as ugly as those uniforms the Rams wore. Uh, I'm starting <laughs> to become a bit a bit more of a believer um, because the defense was such a problem at the start of the season. Um, and uh, you know, if you look at the numbers now, the defense is trending to be one of the better ones in the league. Um, I just worry that in the playoffs, if they take on a team with a quarterback that can throw more than seven yards downfield, which Goff couldn't do the last game, and Haskins in a game prior to that, uh, they're in a bit of trouble. I just I, What I can't have happen is them play against – I don't think it's going to trend this way, the, the way the match is going to work. I just can't have them lose to Tom Brady yeah. if that, that happens. <laughs> so that's one thing that I cannot handle. I mean, you can lose to the Rams. I could handle that. Um, but please don't let them somehow face uh, Tampa Bay and lose to Tom Brady because I don't think my mental capacity could could deal with that. None no. of ours can. Yeah, here, here, Murph. Well said. Uh, hey, Murph, we always appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks for making some time for us today, and have a have a great New Year, you and the family. Jamie, Katie, thank you so much, and it's a breath of fresh air hearing you guys on there. Keep doing it. <laughs> Thanks, Murph. Uh, that is Sportsnet's Dan Murphy, of course, does fantastic work as a reporter and host on the Canucks broadcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Sportsnet Murph. Always love catching up uh, with Dan Murphy and hearing his thoughts uh, on the team. And and Katie, just before we hit the break here, you know, we, we got the NFL thoughts. Of course, Murphy, a, a big, big Seahawks fan. Uh, as well and I am at the um, I'm at very much at the stage of my life now where the best thing about Christmas is not receiving presents it's giving presents and I was so excited this year because I have uh, I have two nephews who are nine years old Uh, shout out to James and Nathan and one of them James (laughs) is a huge Seahawks fan and the other one is a huge uh, Kansas City Chiefs fan and a Patrick Mahomes fan specifically and my uh, my uncle gift to the two of them this year was a, one of them a Russell Wilson jersey and one of them a Patrick Mahomes jersey. And that was like the most excited I've ever been, I think, <laughs> to give a present. They were so thrilled to get them. And now I've got my fingers crossed uh, that that's a Super Bowl preview. I'm hoping I can I can pit my nephews against each other if those two teams match up <laughs> in the Super Bowl. A few weeks back, like five, six weeks, I would have been a little questionable about that. But like Murph said, with the way their defense has been playing, that's not so out of the question. <laughs> no, and it, it's oh, look. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go uh, go crazy here. But you can, if you really squint, you can almost find more questions with the way the Seattle offense is playing right now than the defense. And I know that that look, that's crazy. You trust the offense more than the defense, of course you do. But the defense has really stepped up. Now Murph makes a great point. Okay, let's see them do it against someone who's not Jared Goff, who's not mm-hmm. Dwayne Haskins. I mean, if they have to roll into Lambeau and slow down uh, Aaron Rodgers and company, that's an entirely different task. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, but the defense has done just enough for Seattle that you can you can imagine a scenario where they advance to the Super Bowl now. Whereas, as you said, you know, a few weeks ago, it was hard to do that. Well, and remember the first 10 weeks when they were setting records for being a historically bad defense. Yep. And now we're sitting here talking about how much it's improved. And it's not just like in the last five weeks, no team has allowed fewer points than the Seahawks. What a shift that is. It's so crazy. And going in, we talked about their big glaring hole was the pass rush. Week two, Bruce Irvin blows his ACL. So we're thinking, oh man, like, and all their guys keep going down. You're thinking this isn't getting any better. And it did. It's a 2020 miracle. Yeah, the addition of Carlos Dunlap was enormous. Jamal Adams has rounded into form. The pass rush has made such a difference for them in everything they do. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, with a real defense and Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf, you can go a long, long way 
uh, with that as your foundation. It's the starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Katie Caldwell going into the final half hour of the show. Earlier in the show, Todd Bertuzzi joined us, as he does every Tuesday here on the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. And he had some really interesting thoughts about the Canadian division, how it sets up, the addition of Corey Perry in Montreal, and more. You'll hear from Todd Bertuzzi again next. That's coming up on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. Starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Katie Caldwell filling in for Perry and Seabold. Don't worry, they'll be back in the new year. They'll have you all set for our uh, wall-to-wall coverage of Canucks training camp, which I'm extremely, extremely uh, excited about coming up beginning uh, when training camp opens on January 3rd. You'll be able to hear it all right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. By the way, get your texts in to the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the Canucks training camp storylines that are setting up as we're only a few days away from training camp opening it up. But earlier in the show, we were joined by former Canucks star, longtime NHL forward Todd Bertuzzi. He joins the starting lineup every Tuesday uh, in the 7 a.m. hour. And, you know, Bertuzzi, just like the rest of us, he is geared up to see this all-Canadian division play out, to see these rivalries form and develop and uh, maybe some uh, extracurricular activities on the ice as well. And we started our chat with Todd by asking him how he would have felt about playing the same teams over and over and over again in a season. Well, and Todd, if there's ever a season where you want a bit of that extra edge, I think this is definitely it. We were talking earlier in the show about how many budding new rivalries we could see, especially in the North Division. Back in your playing days, how would you have felt about playing the same team so many times in a season? I'm actually looking forward to it. I think it's going to bring the animosity that uh, you're going to need in a is it 52 or 56? 56. Uh, 56 game schedule. That's going to be compact. That's going to be quick, and it's going to go by extremely fast. I think on a day to day basis, you're going to need those rivalry games in order to amp up that kind of energy and excitement. Uh, uh, throughout this quick run to the Stanley Cup. I think with it being so compact and things are going to be happening quick, I think with with, with just happening within your own uh, division, uh, especially the Canadian, um, I think it's going to be much needed. And I'll tell you right now, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be fast, furious. It's going to be, it's almost like we're going to get 56 games of playoffs. That's the way I see it, I think, because it's going to be, so much emphasis on getting off to a quick start and a fast start that the blood's going to be boiling. And then you have all these teams uh, that weren't in the bubble that haven't played in almost a year who are going to be eager at getting at it. So I think it's going to be some uh, exciting hockey for sure. I think you're absolutely right about that and about it feeling like an extended playoffs. Uh, the Canucks are still a young team, but after last season, they do have playoff expectations now. How hard is it to transition from being an upstart team without any pressure to now one being expected to make the playoffs? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, I don't. I mean, you know what? Yes, yes. Well deserved. They they did very very well, but they also 
in unrestricted free agency lost a lot of uh, key crucial pieces. Um, I'm going to be probably looking more at who's going to step up and fill a lot of those roles. Like Toffoli, he seemed like a guy who can pot 30 to 35 goals playing with that roster. I think you're going to have to have Pearson stepping up. Obviously, Bertanen stepping up. You're going to have to have even your big boys, Peds and uh, Brock, uh, stepping up even more. And same with uh, Quentin Hughes on the back. And then obviously with Tanev gone, and then you got Schmidt coming in, is going to end up having to contribute uh, more points and all that. So there's going to be holes to fill, but there's nothing wrong with building within your organization and seeing what you really have when uh, when you lost some key pieces. So. Uh, I think they're gonna, their team is going to have to get off to a very, very quick start. I think the expectations in the city and and within the organization are uh, extremely high and with the coaching staff. So I think their key is, uh, is is getting off to a quick start in an extremely, extremely hard division. In conversation with Todd Bertuzzi here in the starting lineup, Sportsnet 650. And, you know, Todd, you mentioned Jake Vertanen as a player who – uh, fans and the team itself will be hoping he can step up and fill some of that void left by Tyler Toffoli. And it, it's interesting because it's also, as you said, a season where a quick start is so important. And we know that Vertanen has a history of not necessarily coming in and hitting the ground running in training camp. And with an even shorter training camp and and no preseason this year, it might be you know even more difficult for him to get up to speed right away. Why is it that that some players seem to, you know, some players seem to come in every year in training camp and they're ready to go and they're at a high level right away. And for others, it takes a bit of a ramp up. Why is it that some players seem to take longer to get up to 100% than others? I don't know. That's the million dollar question. <laughs> if I had the answer for it, I'd be a, a millionaire because uh, I could have solved a lot of the issues with a lot of these young guys. But um, if you ask me, I put huge emphasis on my start to the season. Um, getting that first goal was like one of the biggest things and that drove me all summer because that first goal is a goal that can catapult you to a very good season and getting off to a very fast start. So I focused a lot of my training on getting ready for that first game and coming out swinging uh, because if you don't get a goal your first game and your second game and your third, then all of a sudden you're looking your seven to ten games in without a goal and your back's against the wall and you start squeezing your stick, it gets a little bit harder and all that. Um, and when I say that, obviously we want to win games, but uh, me scoring goals and contributing offense equals to winning games, and I believe that's the same with Jake Bertanen. The, the more Jake can score, the more points Jake can put up, the more that team's going to win. So I always focus on my start. My start was crucial. I always wanted to get off to a good start. And I think throughout my career, I think I think the longest start I went was three games to start a season uh, before I scored. So I think the amount of pressure that I put 